नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम अज्ञानाति मिरंदाजनाजनाशलाकायाचक्षुरुमेचंजैनास्मयश्रीगुरुवेनमहाजनाशलाकायाचक्षुरुमेचंजैनास्मयश्रीगुरुवेनमहाजनाशलाकाया
Ashraya, those who are under the shelter of. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. This is the divinity of the personality of Godhead. He is not affected by the qualities of material nature, even though he is in contact with them. Similarly, the devotees who have taken shelter of the Lord do not become influenced by the material qualities. Purport. In the Vedas and Vedic literatures, Shruti and Smriti, it is affirmed that in the divinity there is nothing material. He is transcendental, nirguna, the supreme cognizant, Hari, or the personality of Godhead, is the supreme transcendental person situated beyond the range of material affection. These statements are also confirmed by even by Acharya Sankara. One may argue that his relation with the goddesses of fortune may be transcendental, but what about his relation with the Yadu dynasty, being born in that family, or his killing the not-believers like Jarasandha and other Asuras directly in contact with the modes of material nature? The answer is that the divinity of the personality of Godhead is never in contact with the qualities of material nature in any circumstances. Actually, he is in contact with such qualities because he is the ultimate source of everything. Yet, he is above the actions of such qualities. He is known, therefore, as Yogeshvara, the master of mystic power, or in other words, the all-powerful. Even his learned devotees are not affected by the influence of material modes. The great six Goswamis of Vrindavan all came from greatly rich and aristocratic families. But when they adopted the life of mendicants at Vrindavan, <clears throat> superficially they appeared to be in wretched conditions of life. But factually, they were the richest of all in spiritual values. Such Mahabhagavatas, or first-grade devotees, although moving amongst men, are not contaminated by honor or insult, hunger or satisfaction, sleep or wakefulness, which are all resultant actions of the three modes of material nature. Similarly, some of them are engaged in worldly dealings, yet are unaffected. Unless these neutralities of life are there, one cannot be considered situated in transcendence. The divinity and his associates are on the same transcendental plane, and their glories are always sanctified by the action of Yogamaya, or the internal potency of the Lord. The devotees of the Lord are always transcendental, even if they are sometimes found to have fallen in their behavior. The Lord emphatically declares in Bhagavad Gita 9.30 that even if unalloyed devotee is found to be fallen due to previous material contamination, they are nonetheless to be accept, nevertheless to be accepted as fully transcendental because of their being engaged in cent per cent in the devotional service of the Lord. The Lord protects them always because of their rendering service unto him, and the fallen conditions are considered are to be considered accidental and temporary. They will vanish in no time. Jai Shishi Radha Kalashanji. So we've been discussing that when we become pure devotees, when we understand and realize that we are part and parcel of Krishna, we also are part and parcel of the qualities of Krishna. And this verse uh, reaffirms that. In this case, it says that we're unaffected by the material world. So we're 
able to be in the material world but and engage in worldly affairs and yet still be unaffected. And we see Krishna is this way. Prabhupada gives the examples of you know, his activities in Vrindavan as well as in um, Kurukshetra and the Yadu dynasty as well as fighting off the demons. All of these things, they happen in the material world, but Krishna is kind of removed from them even though he's performing those activities because that's just how he is. He can be in the world and he can, because he created the material world. But as parts and parcels of Krishna, we also have that quality. We have that ability to be in the material world and still not be part of the material world. We can engage in the activities and still be separate and understand that we're parts and parcels of Krishna. In Bhagavad Gita 18.54, Krishna says, One who is thus transcendentally situated at once realizes the Supreme Brahman and becomes fully joyful. They never lament or desire to have anything. They're equally disposed toward every living entity. In that state, they attain pure devotional service unto me. So what we understand here is that we can be fully joyful and fully situated with Krishna, understand our full and deep um, relationship to Krishna. This gives us a glimpse of what it means to be Krishna conscious, the benefits that we gain. So what is it about the material world that we don't want to be affected by? Do you know? Do you have any ideas? Right? So the tendency to think we are enjoying, but then we have duality. So with pleasure, we have pain. With even pleasure and pain, everything is temporary. Um, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 2.16, those who are the seers of truth have concluded that of the non-existent, the material body, there is no endurance, and of the eternal, the soul, there is no change. This they have concluded by studying the nature of both. And then he also says in Bhagavad Gita 4.22, one who is satisfied with gain, which comes of its own accord, who is free from duality, does not envy, who is steady in both success and failure, is never entangled, although performing actions. So we are pursuing pleasure because we've discussed this before because our our nature our constitutional nature is that we're eternally full of bliss and knowledge so we're constantly trying to reattain that constitutional nature of bliss but we don't have eternity here in the material world and we have duality here in the material world so we can't achieve it other reasons why we don't want to be affected by the material world or some of the issues that affect us in the material world? So we have the cycle of birth, disease, old age, and death, right? Also indicating temporariness. In Bhagavad Gita 2.13, Krishna says, as the embodied soul continually passes in this body from childhood to youth to old age, the soul similarly passes into another body at death. A sober person is not bewildered by such a change. So we have this cycle of birth and death, old age, disease. You know, none of us want to grow old. I know that's one of my big things, right, to stay young forever. Um, and, you know, that's part vanity, but also we want the uh, energy of youthfulness, right? We always want to have that energy of youthfulness. 
um, disease. So many of us are scared of getting things like the coronavirus or we're dealing with having diabetes or high blood pressure, heart disease. There's so many diseases that we have that we are subjected to. In addition, we're subjected to the three modes of material nature. Bhagavad fourteen five, Krishna says, material nature consists of the three modes, um, goodness, passion, and ignorance. When the living entity comes in contact with nature, they become conditioned by these modes. We're affected by the threefold miseries. In 265, Krishna says, for one, thus satisfied in Krishna consciousness, the threefold miseries of material existence exist no longer. In such satisfied consciousness, one's intelligence is soon well established. So we've discussed the threefold miseries that are, you know, from nature, like tornadoes, storms, weather, climate change, things like that. And we also have um, miseries caused by other living entities. It could be mosquitoes, it could be a snake, it could be people that are in our lives that, you know, we constantly have friction with or we don't get along with. Um, we have miseries that we create within our own mind, our own self, you know, miseries within our own body. So we have all of these miseries and the material world is temporary and it's, you know, filled with duality, pleasure, pain, happiness, distress. There's always a, a negative side to the, every positive thing that we can experience. And on the other hand, we have this promise of feeling pure eternal love and bliss and um, eternity once we deepen our relationship with Krishna back in the spiritual world, once we know who we truly are. And we also have been given the means. So these are the reasons why we want to leave the material world and deepen our relationship to Krishna We've also been given the means of how. How do we attain this relationship with Krishna? We have the nine processes of devotional service, right? Hearing, chanting, remembering, serving, worshiping, offering prayers, um, becoming Krishna's servant, becoming Krishna's friend, and surrendering. So we have these instructions on how to do that. You know, we're given instructions to chant the Maha Mantra every single day so that we can spend time with Krishna, we can deepen our relationship with Krishna. We've been given um, instructions to follow the four regulative principles, you know, to um, practice mercy by not eating any meat, fish, or eggs, to practice austerity by refraining from intoxication, practice truthfulness by refraining from gambling, and then to practice cleanliness, we refrain from sex outside of procreation, outside of marriage. And in Bhagavad Gita 3.34, Krishna reaffirms, there are principles to regulate attachment and aversion pertaining to the senses and their objects. One must not come under the control of such attachment and aversion because there are stumbling blocks on the path of self-realization. So we have all these instructions. And we have reasons why we don't want to be in the material world and we want to be back in the spiritual world, back in Krishna. And yet we struggle to do so. We struggle to follow these instructions. We struggle to, you know, figure, to really deepen our relationship with Krishna. So why do we struggle? What, what are some reasons why we have difficulty 
following these instructions and attaining this <clears throat> goal that we may have. Amen? We're rebellious, right? Um, we ourselves want to be God. We want to control. We want to have that sense of power, right? So there's that part of it. We also, there could also be we don't have firm faith, right? We know we can see what we see. We know what we can touch and feel. And to believe in God and to believe in this, the glory of God's kingdom takes faith. So we must have faith to be able to say, okay, I want to follow these things. But then even once we have faith, it can still be hard, right? We have obligations. We have family. You know, we have to maintain our own selves. We have to go work and earn money. Um, And sometimes we think, what if I can't do it? You know, what if I fail? What if I try and I fail? We have this, many of us have this all or nothing mentality. If I can't do it all, then I won't do any of it. And so we think that way, right? But Krishna has reassured us that um, in Bhagavad Gita 9.22, those who always worship me with exclusive devotion, meditating on my transcendental form, to them I carry what they lack and I preserve what they have. So Krishna is saying that, you know, do your best and I will take care of the rest. Right? So he's, he's promising us this. He even goes on to say in 9.30, even if one commits the most abominable action, if they're engaged in devotional service, they are to be considered saintly because they're properly situated in their determination. So what this means is that we may stumble, we may fall, we may um, struggle in keeping our vows and keeping to the regular principles and following the instructions of the nine processes of devotional service. As long as we're on that path, we're, you know, it's, we're still considered saintly. Now, there are some things we have to take care and avoid, like of offending other devotees on the path. That's pretty much the highest sin that we can commit is to offend others that are on the path, and there's sometimes no coming back from that, right? And so we just have to beg forgiveness from whoever we've, you know, offended and whether or not they forgive us really determines whether or not we how we will succeed in our um, devotional service. And once we've made such an offense, then we want to really, you know, take time to internalize and um, work towards really rectifying that behavior or that action that created that offense and and um, work for that forgiveness. So it's really important that we take care of these things. So that can also be a fear, like what if I offend someone? You know, that can really hinder my spiritual life. Sometimes, um, so these are reasons why we kind of fear, like a fail. We're fear of failure, like that's our one of our fears of why we may not engage. We we feel like, okay, what if I can't do it? What if I, you know. Like I said, we have the all-or-nothing mentality. I didn't write it, but Krishna says in 6.25, like, gradually, gradually, step by step, right? He doesn't say do it all at once. He says you have to have firm faith and determination and then do it gradually. 
So you have to go according to your own abilities, where you're at, you know, and then you can slowly progress. And then the other part of it is sometimes we have fear of success. What if I do become Krishna conscious? What if I do really deepen my realization and understand that I'm not this body? You know, my family is just in this body, this is my family. Um, in this body, these are the activities that I have to do. That can also create a type of fear. It sounds counterintuitive. Why, why would we want to fear success? We want to be successful on this path of Krishna consciousness. But there are many reasons why we have our internal dialogue. We have beliefs that we have had since we were kids that were instilled in us by our family, our parents, our grandparents, um, our surroundings, what we've seen, our experiences. So we create all these beliefs. Um, one of the reasons why people can fear success is we fear losing ourselves. What if I'm no longer me? What if I become one of these weirdos and, you know, it's all like all I can do is chant Hare Krishna and, you know, I can't relate to anyone. I can't really engage with my family anymore. You know, so we kind of fear losing ourselves. We can fear the backlash. What will other people think of me? How will it affect my family? How will it affect my job? You know, so we, we worry about the backlash. We fear not being good enough. If I'm successful, what if I'm not good enough? Right? What if I can't maintain it? What if I can't, you know, um, what if I don't deserve it? So we have this feeling of not being good enough. Um, we call that imposter syndrome. We know, on some level, we know we're qualified, but at the same time, we feel like we're not qualified. Um, but that can also hinder us. So a lot of times we're told, you know, we have to remain humble, and we see how um, the acharyas before us, they talk about feeling unqualified, feeling not deserving. So then we get this idea that if we become that much, we may not be qualified or deserving. But we have to realize that humility and humbleness is not the same as um, not acknowledging what, where you're at in your spiritual life. So we can be humble and still be um, bold in where we are, right? We can still be, we can acknowledge and be truthful about where we are and still be humble because we can understand that where we are is solely due to Krishna's mercy. Whether or not we even have um, faith, you know, we just show a little bit of spark of faith, and Krishna helps fan that spark into a fire. But we can't get sparked into a fire without Krishna's mercy. So that's where our humility comes from. We fear criticism. Again, at what will other people say? We fear scrutiny. You know, every little thing that you do gets put under a microscope. Oh, you say you're a devotee. Well, are you behaving in all ways? Like, we fear that. We fear change. If we become a pure devotee, how does that change our lives? How does that change everything? That can be very scary. We fear losing our friends, our relationships, right? Because what if we can't relate to them anymore? What if they can't relate to us? You know, what if they become envious or... You know, they they don't want to hang out with you anymore. That also goes with that fear of losing yourself, because sometimes 
when we are so excited and enthusiastic about something, we talk about that thing all the time. And if somebody's not where we're at or they don't have that same understanding, they may not want to hear it all the time. I remember um, when I first started coming to the temple on my own, you know, I was in high school and then I went off to college. And I, when I came to the temple, I'd brought my brothers. When I went off to college, I was in this, you know, trying to get used to being away from the family, studying on my own. And almost the last thing on my mind was, you know, chanting and reading. And um, But my brothers were so enthusiastic that every time I would call home, that's all they would talk to me about. Like, are you chanting? Are you reading? Are you doing this? Are you offering prasadam? And it's like, stop it. I couldn't handle it at that moment. Like, I was just calling home for some, you know, warmth and, and security, some uh, comfort, because it's tough out there. And I didn't, I couldn't handle it at that moment. So Sometimes I would hang up on them. Then I said this, like, don't talk to me about this. If you're going to talk to me, then just don't call or don't answer the phone, right? Like, at that moment, I wasn't ready for that kind of talk. So we can see that some people aren't ready at that moment. We just have to um, recognize where they are. Like if one of the verses says, don't disturb other people. You know, encourage them where they're at and slowly guide them to where, you know, we know they want to be. So, you know, and eventually I came back to my own, like, okay, you know, and then I became the super enthusiastic one again, right? So it all, it all comes into circles. Okay. Hare Krishna. So we also have that fear of uh, work. Like, how much work is it going to be? Is it going to be 24-7? You know, some of the examples that we can see of um, some of our leaders in the Hare Krishna movement, they work really hard. They work almost 24-7. There's no breaks. Um, we've seen, you know, their health decline because they take no breaks. Their physical health, that is. Um, and then there's a the thing that's called uh, preacher burnout, right? Like the people that are in this kind of um, environment that are doing this kind of mission work, missionary work, they can get burnt out as well. So we have that fear. And then we have fear of heightened expectations. If we are at, you know, pure devotee level, then people will expect so much from us that, you know, we have to maintain that. So we've all we've had all these fears, and usually our excuses they come down to you know time. Do I have enough time? Do it? Well, how much will it cost me? What will my family say? Um, we talked about the fears that we have, and then we have self doubt. So we have self doubt, and we also have shame. Like if we tried chanting and then we fell off. Or we tried following the four regulative principles and then we, you know, faltered. Then we have shame associated with that. And that can create this belief that we can't do it, that we're not able to do it. This is not for us. And then we think, oh, I should do this. I should do that. And we should all over ourselves. We beat ourselves up because we're not doing what we think we should do. Where it's mostly about engaging where we're at. So how do we get past these fears and doubts? How do we get past these struggles that we have? It really comes down to association. First and foremost, 
We have to have um, a spiritual teacher, a spiritual master, a guru, to help determine what's good for us in our spiritual life and what's not. In Bhagavad Gita 4.34, Krishna says, Just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master. Inquire from them submissively and render service unto them. The self-realized souls can impart knowledge unto you because they have seen the truth. So we want someone that's going to guide us in a very personal way of how we can become Krishna conscious in our own way. Of how, you know, how do we use our skills and our talents and our um, abilities for Krishna? How do we serve Krishna? What is our mission in serving Krishna? And a spiritual master, a spiritual teacher can help us determine that. So in addition to our spiritual master that we have, and we have, all of us have a spiritual master, and we have our spiritual master that's our spiritual master for all of eternity. So even once we return back to the spiritual world, our guru is our guru there. But we also have other types of gurus, mentors. We call them shiksha gurus. They can be um, personal, somebody that you can talk to, that can guide you. Um, I know that I turn a lot to my senior um, god brothers and god sisters, as well as like uh, other disciples of Prabhupada for guidance. You know, I turn to Nityananda Prabhu a lot for guidance. And our mentors can help us more on the day-to-day level. You know, sometimes our spiritual master can do that as well, but it depends on, like for me, for instance, my spiritual master is no longer on this earth. So it's harder for me to uh, engage in a personal conversation with him, um, whereas with some of his disciples and, you know, some of his godbrothers and godsisters, I can have a conversation and have a better understanding of what my um, day-to-day activities can be. How do I engage in my mission? How do I better perform all of these things? So it's important to have a mentor. We can also have mentors from a distance, virtual. You know, in this way, I, you know, I'm still able to engage with my spiritual master by listening to his lectures by reading his books, by reading Prabhupada's books. You know, Prabhupada can become one of my um, mentors as well because I could read his books and listen to his lectures. It could be for any of the other spiritual leaders that we have here in this movement. You know, we have technology, we have videos on YouTube, lectures, podcasts, books, so many ways of engaging with um leaders and teachers that are on this path that we're engaging with. We have peers, people that are on our own level, that we can have friendships with, that we can support each other. They can become our cheerleaders, our encouragers. Um, They can help you feel like you're good enough. I know that, you know, I have a couple of friends that we get together, I would say semi, I mean, it's regularly, but it's not often. So maybe like, once every three or four months. But whenever we get together, it's so uplifting because we really uplift each other and support each other in our struggles. And it reaffirms and and reinvigorates our commitment to Krishna and Guru and our mission and, you know, deepening our realization and relationship to Krishna. So it's important that we have these peers that we can rely on each other. There are cheerleaders. They're supporting us on. 
in one of my um, business development classes, they say that you have to have an A team. And an A team, the A stands for advocate. You have to be your own advocate. You have to be willing to ask for help when you need it. You have to be willing to know what you need. Um, I heard this quote recently, and I thought it was really great, that you don't have to ask for permission from anyone. Ask for support, and then give yourself permission. Right? We have to give ourselves permission to be successful and overcome these fears of success, the fears of failure, this self-doubt and shame. We have to give ourselves permission to forgive ourselves for any things that we may have done, like, you know, in ways that we may have faltered or fallen. So we have to be our own advocate. We have to tell people what we're doing. What is it that we're doing? What are we um, going for? What do we need? And we can get our cheerleaders and our support system through telling people you know, we can help each other see what's possible. You know, they can help re-engage us in that vision of why we want to deepen our relationship to Krishna. All the pleasure and bliss and the the uh, eternal factor of the pleasure and bliss of deepening our relationship with Krishna. And then as far as mentors, they call it emulating. You want to emulate people that they're doing what you're doing and you can learn from them. We also have to be careful not to compare ourselves to people that are further along in the path than we are. We can learn from them. We can emulate from them. But we don't want to compare ourselves to them because we are on our own journey. And the journey that we're taking as we're sharing and telling people and um, advocating for ourselves, that can be inspirational for someone that may not take inspiration from the people you take inspiration from. Because the way you are doing it may speak more to them than the way someone else is doing it. They may relate more to you. They may have more in common with you than other people. So it's important that we find people to emulate but not compare ourselves to, that we align ourselves with people that are like-minded, and even to understand when we have people that are not like-minded how they're different than us and how we can complete each other. Um, You know, we tend to hang out in echo chambers with people that think the way we do. But it's a, it's good sometimes to hear other um, thoughts, other ways that people look at things, because it can help us understand even more and deeper. And then the M and A team stands for mentor. That's We discussed that. You know, the other difference between mentors and everyone else is they're your coaches, not your cheerleaders. They're going to tell you when you're doing something wrong, that this isn't working or, you know, these are the places you want to improve. Whereas our peers and support cheerleaders are more about telling us, you know, you can do it, you know, try this way. or They're more supportive than they are um, telling us what we're doing wrong. So when we take instructions from mentors, from our guru, from shiksha gurus, we want to make sure that we're valuing their time, that we're asking the questions that we really want to ask and need answers to, that we're willing to implement the instructions, the advice that they're giving in some way, shape, or form. 
you know, I've heard it said, don't be an ask hole. That just means that you ask questions and you ask questions and then you just sit on the information. You don't do anything about it. I've heard one quote also that um, inspiration and information without action leads to regret. So if we have all this inspiration and information, but we do nothing about it, it can lead us to regret. And we have to have all of these associations to succeed. Can we do it by ourselves, all alone? Sure, anything's possible. But we increase the likelihood and the ease in which we can overcome our struggles and engage in Krishna consciousness through association, through having strong relationships that are rooted in engaging each other in Krishna consciousness. You know, if we look at any example of successful people, they always have an entourage, a team behind them. I mean, even, you know, Srila Prabhupada had his guru. He didn't have, he didn't just come without a guru, without instructions. He had people that he um, looked at as mentors from afar, right? He's always quoting the Acharyas, the Goswamis. He's looking at examples of previous spiritual teachers before him. Even if they were alive hundreds of years ago, he uses those as examples for his own life. He, you know, it's harder for us to see him having peers and supports because he didn't really, but he engaged people in, you know, in such a way that they um, assisted him in his mission. So he was a great leader in being able to see qualities in other people and engaging them in a way for them to see his vision. You know, he was telling them, he was advocating for himself, telling all of his disciples what he needed from them to help him be successful. So he also had his entourage, you know. Um, my guru is also often, uh, Tamal Krishna Goswami is often referred to as his right-hand man because he relied a lot on Tamal Krishna Goswami to complete a lot of, you know, the mission, uh, complete a lot of the activities so that he could build tem- temples around the world. He could have devotees all around the world. He could uh, teach people all around the world about Krishna and Krishna consciousness. And, you know, he did it, yes, he did it by himself, but he also did it with the help of engaging other people by showing them his vision and engaging them in a way that was best for him. So we can see that everyone has to use, has the need to have people around them in order to be successful. So I would say, you know, what we can do is review who our people are in our lives. You know, make sure that we're staying in contact with our cheerleaders and our support system. Make sure that we're staying in contact with our mentors and engaging in the advice that they give us. Make sure that we're staying in contact with, if possible, with our spiritual master. I know that when my spiritual master was here, on earth. I was really bad about that. He used to complain that I never wrote to him and I only engaged with him when I saw him. And, you know, I tried to be a little bit better about that now, but I'm still that way. It's hard for me to um, engage and stay, remain in contact with people. So that's one of the things that I'm working on too. I think it's um, important. It helps create 
loving, strong relationships when we stay in contact and um, engage with each other in that way. So I'll stop here, and since there's nobody here, I won't wait for any questions. Um, Dharantara Srimad Bhagavatam ki 